This is Radio Sustain, a bi-weekly journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. Brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is from Monday, July 24, 2006. I'm Matthew Foster at IATP in Minneapolis. Today on Radio Sustain, we talk to Michael Sly from Rural Advancement Foundation International about his efforts to introduce a domestic fair trade system to North America. And IATP's Mark Muller talks to us about the latest efforts to expand commercial navigation on the Mississippi River. But first, news reports are coming out of Geneva this morning that the World Trade Organization's Doha round of trade talks have collapsed. For the last five years, WTO's Doha round was promoted as the development round. However, many developing nations saw the round as benefiting primarily rich countries. Today, it looks like objections to Doha may have finally won the long battle at the WTO. I'm joined by Karen Smaller of IATP's Trade Information Project in Geneva. Karen, what's your take on today's developments? Has Doha collapsed or will it be making a return? Some people are calling it a collapse. Um, what I think has happened is they've put the round in suspension um, indefinitely. They've said that the negotiations cannot continue in the way that they have been and that there needs to be a cooling off time um, where members can get time to go back to their constituencies and maybe regroup in, in, the, in the next few months. So do you expect these countries to return to Doha in a few months or are they going to start from scratch? Well, we're hoping that they won't come back in the, in a few months with the same proposals because I think what we have seen today and what is becoming clear is that the current model, the current round is not working. Across the world, people are saying, we don't want this round. We don't want the kind of deal that's currently on the table. We cannot accept it. You have farmers from India, fisher folk from the Philippines, textile workers in South Africa and in Asia. You have people all around the world saying this deal is not working and what we hope will happen is that members will now take the opportunity to sit back, to reflect on where they've, where they've gone and to start at taking a new approach to the multilateral trading system. We need the governments of the world to be more visionary in the types of trade rules that they're promoting and to think about what kind of trading system will actually promote people's livelihoods and will ensure access to decent work. Thanks, Karen. Karen Smaller is director of IATP's Trade Information Project in Geneva. Get up-to-the-minute developments about the WTO's negotiations at IATP's Trade Observatory at tradeobservatory.org. You may have already heard about certified fair trade products. You can find fair trade coffee at your coffee shop or fair trade bananas at your grocery store. The fair trade system guarantees that farmers receive a fair price for what they produce and that they work in safe working conditions. The fair trade system has been a success story for helping farmers in poor countries. But why not a fair trade system for farmers in the U.S.? Michael Sly of Rural Advancement Foundation International is meeting with U.S. farmers around the country to develop a domestic fair trade system for North America. We caught up with Michael when he passed through Minneapolis last week. So, Michael, what uh, brings you to Minnesota? 
Well, we're here as a part of a collaborative uh, project called the Agricultural Justice Project. And we are uh, here in the Upper Midwest uh, for the next 10 days or so visiting with uh, uh, retailers, with farmers, with farm workers, and with other community leaders uh, about uh, a project that we've been working on of adding uh, uh, reward and values uh, in the marketplace for farmers, workers, and buyers that are uh, adhering to a set of standards related to social justice or domestic fair trade, if you will. Mm. And uh, we see this as a critically uh, uh, oppor a good opportunity and a good time to really begin to add this additional value in the marketplace. So we're here uh, kind of piloting a set of standards, if you will. Give me some examples of, you know, delving into these standards. You guys yeah. have kind of developed them to some extent. And, and what are we talking about? Yeah. What would it mean for a farmer who wants to practice the standards? And what would it mean for a company who wants to purchase a product right. from that farmer? Right. Well, we started from the point of view that um, um, Farm workers can't have uh, social justice if farmers don't have social justice, and farmers can't have social justice if buyers don't see it in their enlightened self-interest to reward it and recognize it. And that uh, we're looking at the whole uh, the whole chain and trying to take a chain approach, and it's about uh, the relationships across the chain, and that each part of the chain, the relationship between the farmer and the buyer, each of those have both rights and responsibilities. And it's based on the idea of transparency, uh, based on the idea of uh, fairness uh, and respect. And we try to cover off uh, a wide gamut of, of interactions. Obviously the farmer wants to know that they're getting a fair price. Uh, the buyer wants to know they're buying something that is backed up with a verifiable claim that uh, they can turn to the consumers and say, this is real. The worker wants to know that they're getting treated fairly, that they have the right to, to organize, that they get a fair price. The farmer wants to know they have the right to organize, the freedom of association, and that the buyer has rights and in fact we're looking at the the employees in in the retail store and asking are they getting a living wage and do they have benefits and and how 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 are they being treated uh, one of the areas where we're getting the most traction is with certified organic farmers who are looking in an increasingly competitive marketplace of how do they add value I'm already I'm already organic I've got it what, what's next? You know, I'm a progressive farmer, I'm a leader, where do I go now? And, and this is a part of what's attracting some of those farmer leaders to come to the table and say, oh, hey, this is, this is kind of the next thing. And, and we, we want to be in the leadership of that. Michael Sly is director of the Just Foods program at Rural Advancement Foundation International. Get more information at rafiusa.org. Last week, the U.S. Senate passed a bill that authorized the expansion of the lock and dam system on the Mississippi River. 
While no money has been approved yet, the bill paves the way for the highly controversial project, which has been stuck in the planning stages for over a decade. Proponents of lock expansion argue that it will lower costs for exporting farm crops and ultimately raise prices for Midwest farmers. Ben Lilliston spoke to Mark Muller, director of IATP's Environment and Agriculture program, to learn more about whether this project really will benefit Midwest farmers. Supporters of Mississippi lock expansion argue that it will increase U.S. exports. Is there any evidence of that? We haven't seen that at all over the past 25 years. And we've had this, these policies in the United States of trying to drive down our prices of our corn, soybeans, and wheat, and cotton as low as possible in order that we can get more out to export markets and to outcompete our competitors in Brazil and Argentina and Ukraine and other parts of the world. And all the evidence suggests that that just is not working. When we lower our prices here, they lower their prices there just a little bit below ours to outcompete us. And so the, this policy of driving prices down has just not been effective in terms of increasing our exports and benefiting farmers and our rural economies here in the Midwest. If exports are projected to be flat, as you're arguing anyway, and this is a, a very costly project, what would be a better way to spend $2 billion to really benefit Midwest farmers? Mm-hmm. There are better opportunities that are just exploding right now that we should be looking at. And then the first one has to be renewable energy. And I think the ethanol industry is a great example of what can happen, what is happening, and probably where we should be spending more of our public investment. And the second one, um, I would say, is the organic industry. And seeing that organic consumption is growing 20% a year, uh, this has provided great opportunities for farmers. And this is just going to continue growing, particularly as people kind of make a transition away from preferring only organic to now preferring organic as well as preferring local. Uh, A lot of farmers are finding tapping into this market and are doing very well with this. So I'd say these two renewable energies and local foods are the two that we can really promote and have some great opportunities for farmers, much more so than trying to expand exports. This is Ben Lilliston for Radio Sustain. Mark Muller is director of IETP's Environment and Agriculture Program. Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. Our engineer is Tyson Acker. Today's music was Divided Beliefs by Tyson Emanuel, Beja Flor by Uma Floresta from their album The Winter Songs, and I've Got a Secret by Robin Stein from her album Daydream. Join us again on Monday, August 7, for the next edition of Radio Sustain, a bi-weekly journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment. I'm Matthew Foster. Thanks for listening. No